This is Your Life, God's Truth, your QFM. It's Phil and Mike here in the studio in Bemidji. One of our favorite fellas, Pastor Gus, is on the line. How are you, sir? I'm good. It reminds me of my joke. I always say, hey, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, I, that's what he tells me. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. And uh, your big group uh, church service was a big hit, I hear, on Sunday. Yes, a lot, lot of fantastic. people. fantastic. Four churches that came together, and each pastor had ten minutes, and, and we just let her rip. And yeah. It was cool to see other people, you know, that go to other churches, and sometimes you, you know, get so you know, tunnel vision that you don't know who the other Christians are in the town you live in, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's such a neat thing, and we're going to uh, go in a completely different direction. This is actually Mike's fault, because he gave me this book a while back called Fault Line by Pastor Vody Bacham. Have you heard of him, Pastor That Gun? guy's a beast. He's awesome. We <laughs> talked about that book with yeah. Gus. Okay, we did. Until, okay. Yes, we did. Yeah, he is a beast. He's a black pastor, uh, loves Jesus big time. I think he might be God's favorite instead of you, Gus. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, he wrote this book about fault lines. And again, as a black pastor, it's about this whole issue of racism. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a big, big, big section in there about critical race theory, uh, white supremacy, all those sorts of things. And it is, I, I, well, I had jury duty selection this morning, and there was an hour of nothing to do. So I started reading this book or that section of it. I was getting fired up. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And then I came out because uh, they canceled the jury thing today. And I got your text, Gus, of what should we talk about. And I thought, all right, let's do this. And are going to talk about white privilege, huh? <laughs> exactly. Three white guys talking about white privilege. I know, I know. It's a little bizarre, but it's so interesting. And uh, I want you guys to weigh in as I hit some points. But I don't know if you guys know this, but you can't just be not a racist. Because if we asked the three of us, are you a racist, we would say no. But you can't just be not a racist. You have to be anti-racist, okay, which means you have to be an activist these days. And in other words, it's really become a new religion. And some of the big players are people like Ibram X. Kendi, uh, big author, Robin DiAngelo. And then there's this gal, Latasha Morrison, Mm. who is really making inroads into the evangelical church. And Mike, you know who you've heard of that. And Gus, you've probably heard too that it's unfortunate of the inroads into the evangelical church. Uh, for example, Matthew Hall, he's the provost at Southern Seminary. He's an evangelical, and here's what he uh, wrote recently. I am a racist. If you think the worst thing somebody can call you is a racist, then you're not thinking biblically. I am going to struggle with racism and white supremacy until the day I die and get my glorified body and a completely renewed and sanctified mind because I am immersed in a culture where I benefit from racism all the time. And Gus, you've probably noticed this too. It seems like evangelicals and, of course, many other mainline uh, denominations are buying into this critical race theory that because we're American, American and America has this quote-unquote, original sin of racism. It's kind of like uh, Adam and Eve, you know, the fall, that we 
just by being an American, we have this built into us, and there's nothing we can do about it, right? We created it. Well, if he's the <laughs> provost of a Christian seminary and he's just going to come out and say he's a racist, then he needs to be fired. Yeah. Because if you, it's like saying, I am a murderer. And I'm just going to continue to be a murderer till the day I die. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. And if he somehow thinks that he's playing, you know, favorites or, or you know, trying to have false humility, I don't know. That's but when what you it is. say you are a sinner of some sort and you run a Christian organization, you know, you need to be fired. Well, and Vody Bacham just says it's, it's scandalous. It is sinful mm-hmm. what we are doing with this whole issue. The original uh, definition of racism from Merriam, Merriam-Webster was this, a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Okay, That makes sense to me. And it's unfortunate because sometimes that has happened where some people of a different race look down on others. That's basically what it's saying. And uh, the Oxford Dictionary defines racism as a belief that one's own racial or ethnic group is superior or that other such groups represent a threat to one's cultural identity, racial integrity, or economic well-being, hence prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against people uh, happens uh, based on such belief. So we understand that. But the critical race theory, the anti-racists, they say those definitions no longer suffice because we're all, if we're white, we're racist because it's built into us whether we understand that or not. And Gus, that's what they're teaching in schools. You know what they're teaching in schools is for people to be victims. That's what they're teaching. Like, in order to be a racist, you actually have to not just believe, but do something that demonstrates that you're a racist. And if you don't do those things, but just by nature of having a skin color, you get identified as a racist, that in and of itself is racism. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't get that. That's well, just, yeah. This is it's interesting. Like Romans one all over again. The Lord has given them over to a depraved mind. Well, and like, this gal, this Latasha Morrison, she's the one that is gaining traction among conservative evangelicals. She has a book called "Be the Bridge: Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Re- Reconciliation." Okay. And then she has a curriculum that goes with it called Whiteness 101. Foundational principles every white bridge builder needs to understand, okay? I mean, it is like a religion. I mean, it's unbelievable. And she defines racism as a system of advantage based on race involving cultural messages, misuse of power, and institutional bias in addition to the racist beliefs and actions of individual and Vody Bakum, he says this, and I want you to weigh in on this. Uh, this whole mentality now, the redefinition of racism, changes the location and therefore the nature of sin. You know, we're no longer dealing with the hearts of men. That's where sin is, according to the Bible. Sin is something in our heart, but now 
it's all about institutions and structures. For as long as America exists with its current institutions, it will also need to be in group therapy where our turn begins with this sentence, hi, I'm America, and I'm racist. Okay, that's from Robin DiAngelo, another one of the big founders of critical race theory and and uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, this is... Uh, How about this? Hi, I'm America, and we fought to overturn slavery. Yes! Hi, I'm America, and we fought to get rid of, you know, the, the segregation. Like, the, it's so crazy to me. Like, yeah. listen, if I was a baby, and I was black, and I had a mom and a dad, a black mom and a dad, I would much prefer to be raised by a black mom and a dad than a white meth-head mom. Yeah. All right? The, the, the privilege comes from having a mom and a dad, not from being white. Yeah. There's a greater privilege with having the nuclear fl- family. There, I, I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous that it's, it's even sad that we're talking about it. For sake, well, and, and the thing is, once we get back to the school year, which is going to be here fairly soon, the battle will continue. And it's still being taught big time in colleges, this whole uh, you know, Marxist theology, the mm. critical race theory, and it began with critical theory. It's, you know, there's a lot more people awake to it now uh, of how, you know, nefarious it is, how deceitful it is, but it's still oh, it's widely being taught out there. Yeah. You know? Gus, the university you and I graduated from is no longer that, I mean, maybe it was, you're a little bit younger than I am. But, <laughs> um, it is not. Yeah, my university. Really I tell changed. people that. I don't tell people I graduated yeah. from there because it's so far gone. One of the uh. big things for them is this equity thing, and like this Ibram Kendi. One of the things he says, for example, uh, defining the sin of racial inequity is when two or more racial groups are not standing on equal footing. And for example, in 2014, 71 percent of white families lived in owner-occupied homes. Only 41% of black families lived in owner-occupied homes. So, in other words, America is inherently racist, whether we like it or not, because there is an equity among the races of people owning homes. So okay? can we... And, and, let me, and I'll follow this up with this, and I want you to weigh in on this, Gus. Using that as their parameter, how do we apply the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 to this kind of thinking? That's what Vody Bakum asks. Uh, for them, it's equitable outcomes, but that's not what the parable of the talents is about, is it? No, it isn't. And, and to use his same illustration, if, that's, if that proves racism, then I better be on the Minnesota Timberwolves tomorrow. <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. There are a whole lot more black folk in the NBA than our white folk, and we better, you know, make, you know, because they have a privilege. Like, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I get when somebody walks down the street, and sometimes uh, what happens is the black first person will feel like, oh, they're looking at me because I'm black. And maybe they are. Maybe there are some racism there. But it also could be, what if a, a white guy walking down the street that also has his uh, pants, you know, past his butt cheeks, yeah. 
looking like, you know, somebody that is a thug, um, I don't know that that's racism. It's just, it's just life, for goodness sake. Yeah. If you, if you don't want to look like somebody that has had a reputation, not because you're black necessarily, but because you don't got pants all over your butt cheeks, then pull your pants up, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And it, obviously, I think there's probably even more whites that have that look these days than any other race. It's just, Listen, if I owned a store yeah. and somebody came in uh, looking like a meth head and was white, I'd watch them. Does that oh, mean exactly, I'm a racist? Exactly right. Right? Like, I'd just be like, oh, this guy looks like he's going to steal from my store. Right? We, we make judgments about what, about, you know, people based upon what they look like. And that, yeah. that is actually not necessarily a bad thing. But a black guy comes into the same store with a nice suit on, and, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, I better watch this guy because he's black. I'm yeah. thinking, I hope you buy a lot of stuff from my store because yeah. you look like you can afford it. <laughs> How about these words from Milton Friedman? This is pretty good. A society that puts equality in the sense of equality of outcome ahead of freedom will end up with neither equality nor freedom. The use of force to achieve equality will destroy freedom. And the force Amen. Yeah, and the force introduced for good purposes will end up in the hands of people who use it to promote their own interests. I mean he's dead on with that. Amen. And and, and men like Vody Bakum, who's a black guy, so of course he has more authority to speak on the subject yes. because he's black, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if, if more guys like him, more black guys like him says, Listen, I don't want to be a victim. Yeah. If if they rise up, I think that would be much better than somebody like me saying it, because yeah. of course when I say it, I just look like a racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good book. It's called Fault Lines the social justice movement, and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe because we're, the evangelical church is opening the door more than a crack to this, and we've got to be so careful. There's some really bad quotes in here from guys like uh, David Platt, for example, mm-hmm. who's buying into this stuff. So we really have to be careful. I encourage you to get it, fault lines. One, one last thing, I'll, I'll do this as quick as I can. He's talking about Uh, this thing being kind of a religious nature and so he has this uh (laughs) you know in the in the bible in the beginning on the first day this is so interesting on the first day white people created whiteness and whiteness is a set of normative privileges granted to white-skinned individuals and groups which is invisible to those privileged by it so day one white people created whiteness on day two white people created white privilege, which is a series of unearned advantages that accrue to white people by virtue of their whiteness. Day On the third day, white people created white supremacy. Any belief, behavior, or system that supports, promotes, or enhances white privilege. See, it just keeps ramping up. On the fourth day, white people created white complicity. White people, through the practices of whiteness and by benefiting from white privilege, (laughs) contribute to the maintenance of systemic racial injustice. We're complicit. And it goes on. I'll do two more real quick. On the fifth day, we created white equilibrium, uh, which allows white people to remain comfortably ignorant. And then on day six, on the sixth day, white people created white 
fragility. Mm-hmm. And that's and that the way. that's and the, the inability. Day, I hope white people rested because they did a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> Fragility <laughs> oh is the goodness. inability Listen, and you know, unwillingness. White people died yeah. to free slaves than black people did. Exactly. How about that? How yeah. about we tell our nation that? Yeah, and real quick, white fragility is the inability and unwillingness of white people to talk about race due to the grip that it has on us. It's just maddening. This stuff. And well, he, that he doesn't just apply to us because we're talking about it now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we can talk about it, but we've got to defend what's really true. Because we have the boldness yeah. and the wisdom and the character to do so. And I'm not afraid of being called a racist if I'm anti-white privilege. Yeah, exactly right. Wow. Well, I thank you for indulging me because I was a little, uh, I was just getting fired up because the book is so good. <laughs> And like you, you know, said, you're only getting fired up because you're a racist, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's what they would say. Yeah. That's, that's what the CRT white privileged people would say. Yeah. You're only mad, Phil, because you're a white guy, and somebody's bringing to light your yeah. racism. Mm-hmm. All right, we better bring this to a close then. <laughs> You'll never win that argument. I wrote that in the book, in the margin. I said, you know what? You, you, with their system, the way they're talking about it, can't. you can't win. No, we just, I guess I'm a racist. I'm sorry. And it is. Sorry for being white. It's my fault. And you see it, how they're trying to change kids' lives. So my grandson plays basketball in DeWitt, Iowa. And he he wasn't varsity this year. He was a freshman. But they made it to the state tournament. And they were, shouldn't have been. Yeah. But they had this one big kid, 6'9", 240, black kid. Black kid. Had a white mom, black dad. At the end of that tournament... When they called all the all-tournament teams and all that, he was given the most valuable of the tournament. Mm-hmm. And you know what his words were? He thanked the, the Iowa State High School League for the opportunity to play in a sport that he loves. That's what he said. Good for him. And I'm just sitting here going... Where's all the people saying, oh, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> I mean, my, my grandkids don't see black, white, red, pink. No. They don't. I can honestly tell you they don't. They yeah. play with them every day. They're part of their lives. They come over. So it's just, yeah, that's what they're, they're trying to do. they're so privileged. They are. You know? mm-hmm. All right, Gus. We've probably said enough. but uh, <laughs> That's a long one today. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for weighing in on it because it... It's maddening, and again, it's yeah. that's why I think parents are standing up. I think, well, and the bottom line is we do need to be a bit educated on this, mm-hmm. you know, because it is sneaking into the church. Oh. Well, if people would just listen to us more, they'd be super educated, oh, right? Oh, for goodness sakes. <laughs> exactly right. All right, God bless you, Gus. Thank you so much. You guys, too. All right. This is your life. God's truth. Your QFM.